Well, hey, stranger, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done a new podcast, so I thought we would do one this week since I finally have some things to talk about. So let's get started this week on Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. Here we go. Hey, thanks for joining me on the podcast. You know, it's been weird because I've been doing the podcast now for... I don't know, I've lost track a few years, and uh, you know, when I first started the podcast, they were all based on chapters out of my book, and then I kind of ran out of chapters, and I would repeat them, and I would do chapters that are probably going to be in my new book, and then I kind of ran out of those, and uh, then we were just kind of talking about different things, and it wasn't always about life lessons, and it wasn't always about things that, you know, that we can all learn about, it was just kind of things, and we'd talk about music, and so the last couple of weeks... Maybe you've noticed that I just haven't put a podcast up every Sunday like I used to. And they say, you know, if you're going to be a podcaster, you got to be consistent. Like Fallon is really good at putting up her podcast, Heartbroken. I think every Friday she has new episodes. So I've been kind of slacking a little bit, and I not for good reason, not for, wait, not for a bad reason. Um, uh, I just didn't want to put out something that was something that I wasn't proud of. So this week, as life gives us, Life has given me some stories, so we're going to dive in. And do I have any lessons on these? I don't think so. Maybe some. For sure on one, I do. But we're going to start off with um, uh, the biggest thing that happened to me in the last couple of days. And it didn't happen to me. So let me just tell you how it all started. Friday morning, I get a Facebook Messenger message from a friend of mine that I grew up with. I was in Scouts with. He lives in Colorado. And his name is Mark. He's been a good friend of mine, even though I haven't seen him since my dad's funeral, about 13 or, God, how long ago was it? It's longer than that. Seven. I haven't seen him in 17 years. But he's still a good guy. We still stay in touch in Facebook. on Facebook. He says, hey, how's Chase doing? And I thought, oh, he must be asking about Chase being pepper sprayed. My son Chase is a reporter in Colorado Springs, and during the riots, he got pepper sprayed. And I thought... Well, it's a little bit odd that he's asking, you know, a month after Chase got pepper sprayed or more. But, you know, I said, oh, you mean the pepper spray? He's doing fine. You know, it bothered him for a day or two, but he's fine. And then I didn't check back to see what his response was. Then, later that day, at about 2 o'clock on Friday, I got a text message from my neighbor who lives up the road from my house in Colorado. And he said, hey, I heard Chase got into an accident. How's he doing? And I'm like, what? So right away, I texted Julie, Chase's mom. And I said, did Chase get into an accident? Within 10 seconds, my phone rings, and I heard the story. And here is the story. So my son Chase is a reporter for a TV station in Colorado Springs. And uh, he gets sent out to cover a lot of of different things. Political things, police matters, crime matters, you know, human interest stories, whatever. So he was in Pueblo, Colorado, about a 40-mile drive south of Colorado Springs. He covers a story on the 10 o'clock news. So it's 10.30 or so, and he's driving back. And he's driving along a road, apparently not a freeway, but a road that has a grass median in the middle. He's driving along, and a car coming the other way crosses the median, rolls, and it happens right in front of Chase. Chase is going 60 miles an hour. The other car, we don't know how fast it was going, but probably at least 60 miles an hour. And uh, the car rolls right in front of Chase. Chase can't avoid it. He hits 
the other car. And it was a serious, serious accident. Chase was okay. That's the most important thing. His his airbags all deployed. Um, He was bracing himself with his hands on the steering wheel like, you know, any of us would brace ourselves if we see something like, oh my God, we're going to hit it. I can't avoid it. So he braces himself. He hurts his arm. Got some cuts on his hand from the windshield and from whatever. And it tears off the entire front of Chase's vehicle or mashes it in all the way to the dashboard. I don't think I should put the pictures online. I think that's kind of tasteless. But let me tell you, the entire front of Chase's car was missing. And in some other photos, you could see into the oncoming driver's car. His car was demolished. Didn't even look like a car. It's on its roof. And you could see the guy laying inside there. And I'll be honest with you, he looked like he was dead. One of his shoes was torn off. Isn't it odd that in a car accident, your shoe would get torn off? That's how violent the impact was. The guy lived. Hopefully, he's going to be okay. Chase was able to, I think, call. he called his friend who was the photographer. You can tell I'm a little upset talking about this. Uh, called his friend who was driving a, you know, a minute ahead of Chase. He calls him and he said, I just got into a wreck. The guy turns around, comes back, gets Chase out of the car. Chase is up and walking around. Then the police come. And they take Chase to the hospital, and he's probably, you know, I don't know if he's in shock, definitely very upset, definitely concerned that he had hurt this other guy, even though it wasn't Chase's fault. Chase is such a good human that he was worried that he had hurt this other guy by hitting his car. And everybody said, as you would say too, Chase, it was not your fault. So all of this happened on Thursday night. I didn't find out anything about it until 2 o'clock the next day. And Julie, Chase's mom, told me all about it. She was very upset, still kind of like breaking into sobs because it was so close. And I talked to Chase, not Friday at that point, but later in the afternoon. He was taking a nap. He was resting. I called him, and this kid, he answers the phone, Hey, Dad, how's it going? And I said, Chase, I should be asking you that question. And he kind of chuckled and he started talking about how he was doing and he's doing okay. You know, still kind of, you know, upset, shocked. Um, I don't know what words you would use to describe that when you could have died in a car accident. And, uh, you know, he said he still hurt. He hurt everywhere. You know, he had a bruise from where the seatbelt was. You know, wear your seatbelt. I'm sure that saved his life. Um, but we all wear seatbelts. That's not even a question anymore. Everybody just automatically puts on their seatbelt, I hope. And um, so we talked. And uh, and as I'm listening to this, I'm just thinking, my God, how lucky was Chase? Accidents happen all the time. Fatal accidents happen all the time. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, of the people who get that phone call or find out and it's not good news. And it's just, it's, it just breaks my heart. It's so upsetting. And that could have been me. That could have been Julie. That could have been a, a, some bad news about Chase, some horrible news. You know, anything from Chase didn't survive to Chase is paralyzed to Chase is brain damaged, anything like that. And Chase was lucky to walk away. And he knows he was lucky. 
but it still doesn't stop you from asking the what if questions. A second here, a split second there, a foot or two there. And you just don't know what would have happened. You know, if Chase had been five seconds earlier, he would have missed the whole thing. If he would have been a split second one way or another, it could have turned out completely different. And even though, you know, I told Chase, I said, and I told Julie, I said, you know, we've got to concentrate on the fact that everything is okay. Yet at the same time, because we're human, you can't stop asking the what ifs. And you think of all the parents and spouses and siblings and relatives and friends who got that phone call and it wasn't good news. And it reminded me of a couple of years ago when Susan had her cancer scare. She had some pain in her belly, so she went in. They said it's gallbladder, so they remove her gallbladder the next day. And the doctor said, we found a big mass in there, um, uh, you know, the size of, um, I don't know, if you put a couple of your, put your fists on top of each other, that's probably pretty close to the mass they found inside of her belly. And the doctor said, I think it's cancer. So for a week, until they could do surgery to remove it, we really thought, oh my God, Susan could die. And uh, I remember sitting in the, uh, there's a little tiny waiting room at the hospital, and maybe you're familiar with it, and maybe you're not. I hope you never see one, but you sit in there, just your, you and your family or your, whoever you're close to, and you wait for the results. And then the doctor comes in after surgery, and she told me, you know, it's benign, technically benign, uh, treatable. We got all of it. I'm really glad. She said, I'm really glad that I did the operation because it was a very difficult operation. And the doctor was obviously very gifted and very talented and able to remove it. And she said, I'm glad I did it because I think that there are some doctors who might not have been as successful in removing this. And that's not something out of ego. When you're good, you know you're good, right? And, uh, and I sat there afterward and I thought, and I told Stephen Fallon and I told people on the show the next day or day or two later, I said, I thought of all the families who sat in that room, all the parents who sat in a room like that anywhere in the world and didn't get good news. And we got good news that day. And since then, you know, Susan's had some follow-ups and there have definitely been some, you know, not complications, but, you know, she's got to go back in for follow-ups and medications and, and treatments and things like that. But it could have been a whole lot worse. And so what's my lesson in that? I don't really have one. There's no lesson in that except to say, <laughs> I walk by, we have a little table in our, in our front entryway. You walk in and there's a picture of Allison and her husband, Justin. There's a Carson's graduation picture and there's a picture of me and Susan and there's a picture of Allison and there's another picture and there's a picture of Chase. And it's a picture of Chase when he was about three years old. And it's one of my favorite pictures. He's like chewing on his arm, looking at the camera in the cutest little boy way. And I looked at that picture and I thought, my God, how awful would it be to look at that picture forever for the rest of my life? and know that Chase didn't make it. So what's my lesson? I don't know. Everybody's like the cliche, hug your kids, hug your children, hug your partner, hug your siblings, and it's kind of true. Because you just never know. That phone call that I got from Julie could have been completely different. I will say this, and I, I told Julie, I said, I'm a little embarrassed and a little upset and a little bit hurt that I didn't find out 
until the next day. And Julie, she sobbed again and she said, I'm so sorry. She said, I wasn't even thinking about anything except how Chase was doing. And I said, I understand. I said, I'm not making this about me because it's not about me. But it just makes me hurt a little bit and a little bit embarrassed that nobody thought to call me. But the more I thought about it, I realized that the reason nobody called me was because he was okay. Because he was okay, their concern was more about, let's take care of him. Let's make sure that he's safe and back home or treated or whatever. Had it been more serious, I know I would have gotten the phone call. But it still hurt a little bit that, that I found out from my neighbor the next day. And um, I told my neighbor, I said, he's doing good. You're the first person who told me about it. And he said, geez, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. I said, don't worry about it. I don't know when I would have found out had it not been for my neighbor. Anyway, <laughs> here's me. I'm always looking for a moral to the story. And I don't think there is a moral to the story, except you know what? Treasure every day because you and I never know if somebody's going down to the to the uh, to the to cub if somebody's going to zip through an intersection zip through a red light or if they're out for a walk if somebody's going to you know swerve off the road up onto the sidewalk you never know you never know so don't take it all for granted don't take anybody's life for granted and that's really all I got to say about that. That's really, there is no big lesson that we already don't already know. And I'm so thankful that Chase is okay, just as I was so thankful that Susan was okay a couple of years ago. All right, we're going to move on. Here is some good news. Um, remember the last podcast that I did, if you listen to it, I said, you know, it made me, something made me realize this is your time. And when I came to that realization, what I meant by this is your time was I was thinking about how, you know, I told you the story about the station underpaid me grossly for 15 years or almost 20 years. And it wasn't until that I got a job offer in Miami that iHeartRadio asked me, what do you want to make? And I said, I threw out a number going, thinking they would go, you're fucking crazy. And they said, done. But it took a job offer and the threat of me leaving to get that money. And I thought, I want to share this with you because this is your time. I don't blame the station for paying me less than I deserve. I blame me because I'm the one who let them get away with it. I'm the one who didn't research to find out what I should have made. I'm the one who didn't, you know, so my point was you can't go back. I can't go back to my company and say for the first 15 years that I worked there, I was grossly underpaid. They would say, yeah, and, and I can't do that. So I tell you, and I'll repeat myself, this is your time. So you can't go back and make it right. If your marriage is bad now, this is your time to get out. If your relationship is bad now, this is your time. In 10 years, you can't go back and say, you know what? I want to go back in time and I want to get out of that marriage. So this is your time. So I said that. And I got an email, and I haven't got to share this yet. So this is from somebody, somebody named Stephanie. Stephanie writes and says, I listened to your podcast as we were driving home from the cabin, and I love that last segment about this is your time. And I thought I'd reply since I'm just sitting in the car. 
This whole pandemic situation has brought me a lot of clarity at my work. I work for a nonprofit. I've been overworked and underpaid the last five years, but I always take on more and give my heart and soul because that's who I am. Then we got shut down and had to turn on a dime and be super creative and innovative in order to stay alive and then getting ready to reopen and reopening a few weeks ago. It was an insane amount of work and as always, I gave it my all, behaving as though I was self-employed. But it became very apparent that all my co- not all of my co-workers had done the same thing. Uh, it has always been that way, but recent years have highlighted. I decided I'd finally had it in the middle of a pandemic. I made my case and asked for a raise. We're still in negotiations. I had been feeling guilty about it over the weekend. Look how selfish I am to ask for a raise during these times. But your podcast reminded me that I deserve it. I know I'm worth it, and my boss knows it too. We'll see what happens, but thanks for the encouragement. That's from Stephanie. She wrote back a week or so later, update, I got the raise and a new job title. I wrote her back and said, Steph, that is so great. This is your time. Congratulations, and thanks for letting me know. So, because I like to find a moral in every story, I'll repeat it. This is your time. You can't go back in time 10 years and say, I was underpaid. I'm going to go back and ask my boss if she'll give me the raise that that I should have gotten 10 years ago. No. Now, today, going forward, that's your time. All right, and then I want to get to um, a, a story that happened to me last week. And I'm just going to go over it briefly again because um, uh, I got stuck in the elevator at work. And I've never been stuck in an elevator before. And maybe you heard the story, but maybe you didn't. I was coming into work on Thursday morning, and I walk in the building, and I'd forgotten to put my mask on. So I get about 10 steps in the door. There's a table 10 steps in the door in the iHeart building. I stop, set my stuff down, pull my mask out of my pocket, put it, pull it, up, put it on. It's a very colorful Animal Crossing mask. <laughs> which I probably get a lot of funny looks for somebody my age wearing a colorful, cartoony Animal Crossing mask. I put it on. Then I walk another 10 steps toward the elevator. There's a guy not wearing a mask, pushes the elevator button to go up. And I'm like, eh, I'm not getting on the elevator with him. He's not wearing a mask. So he gets on, and he didn't say anything to me, so he got on. I rode up on another elevator and gets to the fourth floor. We're on the fifth floor. And it kind of grinds to a halt and kind of like clanks a couple of times. And then it stops and it goes up to five and it clanks a couple of more times and it stops. And the doors don't open. And I'm like, oh, shoot. So I start pushing buttons. They all light up, but the elevator doesn't move. And I push the alarm button, which brings an alarm, but that's all it does. It lets people know, hey, I'm stuck in here, but that's all it does. Then I go on Facebook Live because I'm like, oh, well... I'm stuck here, don't know how long, going to go on Facebook Live. And then I said, there's no phone in here. Oh, wait, there is a phone. So I call, and they sent somebody over, and long story short, I was in there for about 50 minutes, and the only thing that worried me was, what if I had to pee? I had two coffees, one I brought from home, one from Caribou. And I'm like, I want coffee, but I don't want to have to pee, because what if I'm in here for four hours, where am I going to go? People said, well, drink the coffee, then you have a cup to pee in. And I thought, no, because I'd rather not pee in a cup. Fifty minutes later, they, you know, wiggled the elevator down to the first floor where they could open it safely, and they got me out. The guy opened it up, and check this out. I got a $50 Visa gift card for my inconvenience from the company. Sweet. (laughs) 
I didn't expect it and I didn't expect anything. I'm not the kind of person who'd be like, I had mental distress and I'm going to sue. Listen, I'm happy the company was careful enough and got me out of there. And I was safe and it took 50 minutes out of my day, but it was a great story. So then I go, Dave, what's the moral on that one? I don't know. What is the moral on that one? Remain calm. Don't panic. I think that's a good lesson. I wasn't prone to panic in a situation like that because I don't mind being on an elevator. And it it was actually, for 50 minutes, it was kind of fun. We sang songs. We told stories. I answered questions on Facebook Live, and it all turned out okay. All right, next and final story. Uh, This is about, remember last week on the show, and maybe you heard it, maybe you didn't. If you heard it, I don't want to belabor this story and tell you for the 10th time. Um, Back in 90 or 91, a woman got married, and her maid of honor, her best friend since they were kids, came to her wedding, showed up at her wedding, did the maid of honor duties, and uh, left just as the reception was starting. They never heard from her again. So this woman, married 30 years ago, lifetime friend, maid of honor, never spoke to each other again. And I think they, they, she tried to find the maid of honor, couldn't find her. So Steve, who's the master of like finding things on the internet, finds this woman. And we got together with the mom and the mom's daughter. And uh, we got the woman on the phone and we said, what happened? And so long story, very short, um, at the bridal of the, um, the bachelorette party, they'd all went to the Mermaid, which was like a great bar up in Mound, Moundsview. And uh, they went, and the maid of honor um, didn't know anybody in the bridal party. So she said, can my friend come along? Which is kind of an odd request, to be honest with you. But the bride said, well, sure. So they were at the Mermaid, and then her friends in the bridal party said, hey, we're going to go bar hopping. We don't want to stay here. We're going to go bar hopping. So the maid of honor and her friend that she brought along went to the bathroom, came back out, looked around the bar, nowhere to be found. The bridal party had left them there, which is a really shitty thing to do. Made her feel like crap, as it would you and I too. So at the wedding, she felt very snubbed and very out of place. And so after the wedding, after she had done her duties as maid of honor, she left. And the uh, the bride, for whatever reason, anyway, so they hadn't spoken in 30 years. We got them back together on the phone. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen. We're not going to bother them and keep asking, well, what's the update? Did you talk? We'll ask once because we're nosy. But it reminded me. It reminded me of when I, I grew up with a kid named Scott. Scott Duncan was my best friend. We smoked cigarettes together in kindergarten. Uh, I got spanked by his mom one time because I waded into their pond up to my chest with my clothes on. And when I came in, she swatted me on the butt and I deserved it. And she was a great cook and I loved to spend the night there. And we used to drink and play pool in his basement when we were 15. I smoked uh, weed with Scott for the first time when I was in fifth grade. And his sisters were a riot and I, I was one of the family over there. I grew up with them. Um... When I was about 19 years old, Scott fell in love and he moved away with this woman that he met. Moved away. He was working for a like a some company. He left his van and his uniform in the company parking lot and left and nobody ever heard from him again. This was my best friend. 
And he had he never said goodbye, never said why, never reached out two weeks afterward to say, hey, Dave, I was going through some hard times. I'd had it with Colorado, and I moved away with my girlfriend. and Nothing, nothing. I got no explanation. That really ate at me for a long time. And you know what? I realized later that was just Scott. That was just, that was just Scott. He was just kind of a, that's just the way he was. He was a really good guy. Uh, I'll tell you what a good guy he was. I've told this story before. When I was in first grade, the first grade musical, Christmas musical, the choir teacher said, okay, if anybody screws around, day one of rehearsals, remember, if anybody screws around during this first grade choir musical, during rehearsals, I'm going to kick you out and your parents won't be able to come. So I, to make my friends laugh, started to do a little dance. And she said, okay, you, you're out. So every day I sat on a bench by the principal's office and I could hear the singing coming from the uh, cafeteria down the hall where they were rehearsing. My friend Scott, same kid, felt sorry for me, so he purposely got kicked out so he could sit on the bench next to me and keep me company. And I remember the day of the musical, watching parents file in and go up to the cafeteria to watch. And I remember being hurt and embarrassed and ashamed that my parents, they didn't even know about it. Why nobody called them? I don't know. That's just the way it was. But my friend Scott kept me company, got kicked out on purpose. That's how good of friends we were. And then he left. So what's my lesson? Because remember, I always look for a lesson. I don't have one, except to say that might have something to do with why I kind of keep people at arm's length now. Um, I have talked about, you know, I don't have a whole lot of friends. And the friends that I like, that are friends that I have, are people that have kind of like earned my trust. And I was telling Fallon the other day, I said, I wonder if that has something to do with how I kind of keep people at arm's length and uh, how I like to stay home a lot. And listen, I'm not feeling sorry for myself. Um, That's just the way I am. I'm pretty happy with that. But isn't it funny how some things that happened, like shit that happened years ago, can stay inside your head and kind of make us the person for good or for bad that we are. So I ask you, what has stayed inside your head? Maybe you have an answer. What? Think about this for a second. Take some time. What has stayed inside your head that has given you some preconceived notion that might be wrong of the way things are? Maybe you have something, maybe you don't. Uh, and I'm not trying to play psychologist or anything, but I think I realize that that friend abandoning me has kind of affected me even to this day. The end. I don't have anything else to say about that. I only tell you that story to make you think, to see what might have happened in your past that has made you the person for good or for bad that you are today. Hey, I'm going to give you one last thought before I leave. Speaking of psychology, I read a great book, one of the best books I've read in years. It's called Hidden Valley Road, and it's about a family with 12 kids, 10 boys, and then two girls are the youngest. Six of those boys had schizophrenia. And you talk about screw up even the healthy, mentally healthy siblings. It's so fascinating, all the things they went through and how the two young girls and the brothers, how they deal with it even today, 40 or 50 years later. It's fascinating, called The Hidden Valley Road. And uh, it was part of Oprah's book club, so that's got her endorsement too. Anyway, and that's about it. 
I would love to hear from you. Thoughts on the podcast, anything that this brings to mind that you want to share that can be on the podcast next week. Because you know what? I'm always looking for content for the podcast next week. Send me an email to Dave Ryan at kdwb.com. Uh, check out our Facebook page, even though I don't think I've updated it in a while. There's some good stuff on there. And uh, tell a friend about the podcast. If you know somebody who listens to the show uh, and you think they might enjoy the podcast, hey, word of mouth is a great way to get more people to listen to the podcast. And as always, the book. The book is still out there. I think there are like 70 copies of the book left last time I checked. We had like 5,000 copies printed. There are 70 left and you can get it on Amazon, I believe, or definitely itaskabooks.com. And just search for uh, Dave Ryan Book or Take a Shower, Show Up on Time and Don't Steal Anything. That, and also, it's a Kindle, so that never sells out. So, hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. I appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, and uh, send an email to DaveRyan at kdwb.com. And if we come up with more content, I'll see you next week on Take a Shower. Show up on time and don't steal anything.